0: The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. And a big welcome to anybody who's new tonight. Feel free to come up and say hi at the end of the program, or Laura is there at the back of the cushions, and she's our program host tonight can help you with any questions you might have about the center. We also have our new summer flyer out that you can pick up if you want to find out more about what's happening this summer in terms of programs. You can pick one up on the way out. And we've been, as some of you know, we've been using, some of us at least, using this book by Guy Armstrong, Emptiness, a practical guide for meditators. We're getting pretty close to the end. It's been about a year working through these very powerful, subtle teachings on, the Buddhist teachings on emptiness. And it's really really designed to be pragmatic, but it's very easy to take them in an intellectual way and, and the mind just sort of runs with it. So it's useful to have a sense of humility. That's really how it all begins. So central to the way the Buddha taught was identifying that The mind with fixed views is problematic. I mean, it's understandable that we live often with fixed views. For example, probably all of us right now have some seen or unseen fixed view about who we are, like some identification with my story that I have about who I am or how I got here or any particular version of our story. I was uh, just leading a retreat on the West Coast, and I mentioned in one of my talks this tendency I've had, I've noticed over the years. Like, if I hear my spouse saying something about me or about our combined story that I think is inaccurate, I mean, it really cuts deep. Like, how could you get that wrong? <laughs> because it's, you know, it's about me. And if they don't have the story right, they don't have me right, right? And it can feel really powerful. And then we know, oh, that's a fixed view, attachment to some. uh, It's not that sort of dependence, the mind being dependent on a particular belief or view so this is really the beginning there's really no practice like a moment of being mindfully aware being open seeing things as they are it's like we the mind has to choose fixed view or practicing we can't really practice with a fixed view and so the you know the first step of just settling also involves a kind of humility and especially around these teachings on emptiness that Profound pointing out that what this is, this subjective experience that each of us are having, it's just something being known and it's empty of anything outside of that something being known. It's interesting how to step away from fixed notions, the mind being dependent on ideas, even a fixed idea that it's empty, but that. Sort of direct investigation of our experience—that investigation that comes from actually being curious or interested. What is it? What is it here? You know, to be alive and to be sensitive in the way—the heart and mind is sensitive. You know, what is what is this thing we call experience? And to really just see. Well, it's just this being known. And uh, the mind, the thinking mind, really wants to define it, to describe it. We feel more comfortable being identified with, attached to, depending on a story, because it seems more substantial, like we've got some ground. At least I have a story that describes or explains what's happening to me. And when we're in a more direct experiencing, moment to moment experiencing of something being known, something being known, something being known, there's a very direct sense of no, not being any ground there. We've gotten to this place where security or ground is really um, about having a story that seems to make sense. That I can rationalize, that other people help me support, you know, like I'll support your story if you support my story, or I won't challenge your story if you don't challenge my story. When we're able, you know, to find a, n- enough of that humility, that curiosity, and we're just looking, opening, sensing the experience of being a human being. Not the idea we have about being a human being, but the actual, like, what is it, what is it to be a human being? Well, there's experience being known, right? But not the idea, not that concept, oh, yeah, I'm somebody knowing experience. But the direct, direct immediate experiencing, you know, this is being known, this is being known. And that's to keep things that direct or that immediate or that simple takes a bit of a training. It's like we're weaning the mind off of its tendency to kind of fall back into its comfort zone of saying to itself basically, okay, okay, I get it now. The mind is knowing. I got it. And it's sort of like then that idea substitutes for the direct, immediate seeing or knowing or oh, this sensation is being known. This thought is being thought, this sound is being heard, this sight is being seen, this touch is being felt. Without the words. You know, I'm using the words to kind of convey an immediacy of moment to moment knowing. And the more the mind can get established or comfortable or confident that this, in a sense, is the way it is. Stuff is being known, moment by moment, continuously, ceaselessly. And then, over time, the mind really senses that that's all that's happening. That's all that ever has been happening. That's all that ever will happen, is this very straightforward experiencing there's knowing and an object being known don't we can't really distinguish the two i mean just whether now the predominant experience for you is seeing cuz most of you have your eyes open so there's we could just recognize that this experience of seeing right is happening and so there's the particulars of the seeing the shapes and forms and colors and there's that it's being known, that visual experience, right? And you can't really separate is being known from the particular visual experience, the particular or specific characteristics of that visual experience, right? But we, we know that it's being known and we know the specific elements or characteristics of the visual experience. And that could be the same, of course, for hearing or a thought being known or sensations being felt. There's always these two aspects to the one moment of experience. That it's being known and the particulars of the experience that's being known. Is that making sense? Because you'll see it's like really important. This it sounds so like basic. And see that you, you might notice, because this is important, that when you get it intellectually, the mind wants to stop there. Okay, I get what he's pointing to, and now I got it. But that's getting it intellectually is different than resting in the simplicity of that. This is being known, like to really train the mind to rest. Because in a way, it's an independence from the mind being identified with its thoughts about things. But it's an alternative. It's almost like a fork in the road. We can continue down the one fork that we almost always continue down which is the mind being identified with its thoughts without recognizing that identification. Thinking, lost in thought. And the mind in this mode of mindful awareness knowing which is always moment to moment. There's no sort of non-active version of mindful awareness. right? It's very alive because it isn't enough for the mind to be aware, oh yeah, this is being known, because that's gone. And then there's the next moment that's recognized and the next and the next and the next. So there's something, that's why we use that phrase or that sense of groundlessness. We never can rest in a I mean we can rest in the sense of That can happen on its own, that ongoing knowing, moment to moment. But it's very alive with change. There's nothing static about it. And you can even sense that now, like whether you're attentive to the seeing or you're attentive to hearing or attentive attentive to the feeling of sensation or a mixture of those different sense gates, thoughts, emotions, you'll see that moment to moment. There's always something new being known. And the particular this moment being known is like really new, like never before. It doesn't matter how many times we've been at Common Ground or how many times we've seen some of the same people at Common Ground or heard some of the same ideas at Common Ground or felt some of the same sensations while you've been sitting. This moment has never been known before the idea of being at common ground feels kind of stale for some of you at least because like, like a lot of other thoughts about being at common ground, it can have a sort of stale or static feel. But the experiencing moment to moment, so that's a telltale sign. And it's a real insight. It's a real shift, like almost like a different reality from the one we're used to when we start getting little bouts of continuity of mindful awareness, present moment awareness, it, it really feels like an alternative, an alternate reality when we're mindful because mostly we're just lost in thought. So it's not that. It doesn't mean there isn't thought, but in this mode, in this way of being, oh, well, it's just a thought being known. So there that, there'd that there be that recognition that recognition of the present moment. Oh, thinking is being known. That's what's happening in the present moment. So it's like a mirror, mirror-like or reflective recognition of what the mind is knowing. Because there's always, you know, the mind is always sensitive, but can we add this, can we strengthen this additional muscle that knows that the mind is sensitive in real time, moment by moment? Because you can see, like, when it's prompted, you can do it right now. You know, every time I prompt you and every time you decide to follow up with the prompt, you can recognize that, oh, yeah, sensations are being known, or seeing is being seen, or hearing is being heard. You can have that mirror like reflection where the mind recognizes what the mind is sensitive to, like what's predominant in, in terms of all the different things that the mind could be sensitive to or is sensitive to, one thing, the mind will catch the mind's attention, and then that reflective awareness will confirm, oh yeah, the present moment is in fact being known. The mind is in fact sensitive to what's here and now. But isn't it true? We can go through most of the day and be completely oblivious to the reality that the mind is sensitive, that the mind is knowing, right? So we're adding this reflective knowing, what we call mindful awareness, and that—that's the bulk of the work that we do, because it requires overcoming so much habit energy to cultivate present moment awareness in that way, and it will have all kinds of positive. Just this initial training will have all kinds of positive effects. You're just, because it will uh, increase so much, increase the sensitivity and the breadth and subtlety or depth of awareness, so you'll just be so much more competent at whatever you're doing, driving, making love, eating food, chopping vegetables, whatever it is you're doing, you're just, there'll just be more sensitivity, more presence, so you'll and and allows for all kinds of feedback mechanisms to operate more efficiently. So things will start working a little better. Just on this initial training insight that the mind can, in a sense, reflectively track the sensitivity of the mind or the sensitivity of the heart. Oh yeah, this is being felt, this is being known, this is being seen, this is being heard without, again, just because people get confused, it's not like you have to say those words in your mind. I mean, you can. Sometimes it can be useful to reinitiate the value of being present by saying something. What's the mind knowing? Oh, it's knowing this. This is being known, right? So those few words can be a very useful way to sort of start over again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is being known. What's the mind doing? Oh, it's knowing this. Well, can that be okay? That It's that simple. This is being known. And now this. Kind of find that ongoing thread of present moment awareness. And then as we build that confidence in that more simple way of being, mindful awareness way of being, then insights just begin to emerge. Slowly dawn on the mind that this simple way of being, this is being known, is empty as we say of anything else. Like that that understanding, that direct way of understanding, oh yeah, this is being known, that there's nothing else to be known or to be realized. It's just this being known, this being known. And this begins to dawn on the mind that this simple way of being is actually uh, revealing something that's very profound about this experience of being a human being. That it's always essentially empty of anything other than something being known. even though from an ordinary point of view, like where most of us are right now, myself included most of the time, right? It seems like there's more happening here. Like there seems like this the big gorilla in the room is like, I'm here. This is happening to me, and I have history. How do I know? Because I kind of feel it as a sort of emotional depth, right? That's here. What about that? Well, and then the practice can kick in again. Whatever that is, it's this being known. It may be like a complex this being known or a subtle this being known. But essentially, there's nothing else happening here but something being known. And it's hard to convey in words as this insight over years, decades, maybe lifetimes, who knows, of practice, this insight dawns on the mind that all there is is this natural process of something being known, something being known, something being known. And so in Buddhist terms we say this insight into emptiness, the empty nature of this experience being a human being. So it's not like empty is something. It's that it's absent of anything other than knowing and the object that's being known. That's all that's here. Objects are being known. An object is being known, an object of being is being known in an ongoing way. Now the more now, and then it takes a long time. So once that insight starts to come online, then years and years Maybe lifetimes, who knows? But a lot of practice, just sort of getting comfortable in like letting that insight mature. That this like that it's okay, that I can still be a human being, I can still, you know, have emotion and function and keep a job and have a relationship and And so, this is the the maturing of that insight is uh, realizing the responsivity, the frictionlessness of responsivity, of engagement, of participation, fearless showing up in the places in our lives. We start to notice that actually the empty nature facilitates or supports a more nimble, creative, fearless, powerful, loving engagement in all the messiness and beauty and horror difficulties of our lives. It's precisely, it's like, if we want to show up, really be able to be there for those of you raising children or raising cats, <laughs> dogs, this is what we need to do. Or those of you who care about injustice and really want to show up so that the world doesn't continue these patterns of injustice that oppress people and neglect what should be seen and responded to. If we care about life, about world, about the world, about suffering, about our own suffering, healing, our own wounds, then we really need to find a way back to this immediacy. Oh yeah, it's just this being known. This is the first insight. The maturing of that insight, which is the recognition that it's empty, that this is all there is, is something being known. Because it's that... that slow, gradual insight into the empty nature of this activity we call me, my life, my personality even, to see the empty nature that is really what is the only thing that allows for a wholehearted engagement and learning and uh, sort of a compassionate one tradition, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when I was talking on the same subject, this unstoppable compassionate action. But it's, more, it's even more expansive than just compassion. It's like the repertoire of being appreciative of what's beautiful, being compassionate for the suffering, being forgiving, being patient, speaking truth to power, being quiet. It's like it really allows for that nimbleness because we the sort of the maturing of this insight is teasing out the friction friction always comes from a mind that is fixed on an idea holding or identified with an idea what in Buddhism we call self view now self view is uh, important that we don't Think of self-view in sort of ordinary, like someone has ordinary conceit, because you can have a very sophisticated intellectual understanding of emptiness, and that would be your self-view, right? Because self-view is, in the most general or expansive senses, when the mind uh, is dependent on an idea. Because right? it's only self, it's only a self-view that needs an idea, needs to be dependent on knowing. Or you could even say meaning. Now, not being dependent on meaning doesn't mean we somehow can't use meaning. Like when we have a conversation with another human being or when we're trying to plan out and we use that very powerful um, capacity of the thinking mind to abstract my situation. You know, should I not eat anything when I go home tonight or should I have a snack? You know, the big important questions in life. You know, should I look at the internet or abstain from looking at the internet or whatever, read the news or not read the news? So, like, we can, on my mind, can, I can abstract, like, I can imagine a me at a place called my house, you know, doing that and with that imagining I can kind of sense what that might set emotion. Or I can imagine a different scenario and what that sets emotion. And like all that's abstracted. And that could be useful or it could be neurotic, you know, partly depending on how often I do something like that. And how aware the mind is about thinking when it's thinking, like right? knowing what it's doing when it's doing that. Right. So there are a lot of things at play, but we don't want to get rid of thinking. We just don't want to be confused and dependent. We don't want it to be a ball and chain that we drag around. Our attachment or identification with the story, with the ideas, with the concepts, that's called suffering, the identification. Not the thinking, but the mind's dependence or fixation on thought, on concept. Like if I have a thought, oh yeah, it would probably be good not to eat anything. I had a big lunch. It would be good not to eat anything when I go home tonight. But I could immediately become a suffering human being by being dependent on that, and then immediately I'm afraid of not living up to that attached idea of me not eating anything when I go home tonight. And then then the idea of me eating something, the idea of me liking popcorn or liking this or liking that, haunts me you know just to exaggerate it a little bit, right? No, no, don't think that thought. Don't imagine that buttery, salty, crunchy savory flavor of popcorn stop it <laughs> For those of you who like popcorn. Yeah, now it's even worse. I was at the airport after. Oh yeah, I was. At, I just. I was teaching a retreat on the west coast, and it's always a halt, uh, you know. And I was teaching alone this time, so it's, it's it's just a lot of work. And then I gave a public talk in Portland, and then did the red eye. And So I, this sort of oh poor me sort of not not in a terrible neurotic way, but you know, just a kind of a relief. And I, oh, I'll get myself a little snack at the airport. You know, and I I had it in my hand, just plain popcorn. I said, Oh, yeah, this would be great. You know, a little popcorn. And then as I was going to check it, I noticed a completely different area. They didn't have it all organized, popcorn in one area, was popcorn with chocolate (laughs) and nuts, right? Like, and who knows what else? (laughs) Butter, too, because. I looked at the the a number of calories. There's like a whole day's worth of calories in one <laughs> bag of popcorn. <laughs> of course, that's the one I got. <laughs> so I was talking about thinking and identification with thinking and but what really helps is to realize like the the more we can hang out in that place of seeing the empty nature, thoughts are being known. Even clinging to thoughts, identification with the identification is also just something known. So part of the maturing of the second insight into emptiness is realizing when, when the mind really starts having confidence, it generalizes the insight. Something, right that's the object, is being known. And there's never anything else beyond that. So the idea that I'm bad, because I bought that bag of popcorn, that there may be a yucky feeling being known, that was true, second half of the bag on, there was a yucky (laughs) feeling being known. (laughs) But I was raised, I see I have someone to blame, I was raised by two parents who grew up in the Dust Bowl in North Dakota and Montana and the... 30s, You know, they were young children at the time. And so they were sort of like, you don't waste food. <laughs> so I didn't waste it. <laughs> I chose feeling yucky as I had my red-eye home from the West Coast, my 1240 flight in the morning on. But, uh, but that's okay because even if there was something really neurotic going on, to whatever degree the insight, the mind was still, had some thread of that wisdom, that understanding. It's just that yucky feeling being known. Or maybe there was some shame. Oh, Here I go again. That's just that shame pattern being known. Oh, don't try to give yourself an out. Oh, that's just that being known, right? So it's like it doesn't exempt the so-called personality from the laws of karma, cause and effect, cause and effect still happens. We live in a lawful world. If you eat, you know, whatever that was, 1,600 calories of popcorn, nuts, chocolate, butter, and maybe caramel too, something, <laughs> you know, then you feel like this, right? Then then the feeling is like this. And then if you have certain conditioning in your personality, then probably some of those other patterns are going to get triggered. And those arising patterns to judge yourself or to rationalize it or whatever they might be, then that's just what that is. It's just that being known. And try as the habits in the mind might to seduce the mind into becoming a suffering human being to the degree that that insight the thread of that insight, that understanding keeps getting established, then there will be no sufferer there. There will be yucky feeling, mental and physical feelings, unpleasant mental and physical feelings, but no sufferer, no sense of somebody suffering, just unpleasantness being known. And that's not like it sounds just sort of trippy or intellectual to say it like I just said it, but the actual experience is a real lightness, right? (laughs) That's not why I did it, right? It's like it still would have been more pleasant to not eat that whole bag of popcorn, right? But if you're going to eat that whole bag of popcorn, it's better to do it with wisdom, so that whatever arises in conjunction with eating that whole bag of popcorn won't lead to the mind getting dependent, getting identified with thought, with ideas about who I am, given that I eat that whole bag of popcorn, or how I rationalize you know, the old oh, poor me story, I deserve to eat that whole bag of popcorn, even if I feel bad, you know. And so then the more with that insight, that freedom, then it just starts carrying over. It's like the mind less often loses the thread and when it or it doesn't lose the thread as completely. And then the, just a kind of nimbleness, as I mentioned, and responsivity just starts showing up more and more in our lives. But the important thing is this, movement toward freedom depends on practice and practice depends on humility because to, to whatever degree we think we know what's going on no matter how sophisticated our idea is about what this is, being a human being or what's skillful. Even if you are the best Buddhist scholar And you really understand in a very sublime, sophisticated way the teachings, intellectually. We have to go to this place of humility of actually hanging out in this place where all that's happening is this recognition, this mindful recognition. Oh yeah, this is being known. This is being known. And it's so humbling as a ordinary human being because it reduces us. We lose our ground. That's how you know you're practicing. You don't have any ground. You temporarily lose the ground of whatever meaning you would be giving. Like even the ground, like I'm doing a good job of my meditation. To the degree the mind is established with that sense that I'm doing a good job of my meditation, you're not practicing. Does that make sense? So we have to go into that humbling place. Whatever it is, it's just this being known. And that's all there is. And now it's this being known. And we don't have to catch every moment because you're not going to catch every moment. Every moment is so diverse. There's so many little moments of the mind knowing this and that. There's just like, not infinite, but it's immense. What the mind... The mind is so amazing... The sensitivity of the mind is so amazing. Between the five senses and the mind being sensitive to thought or to mental activity, it's amazing. We just do the best we can to know the next thing that's predominant that's can be recognized as something being known. And then the next, something that's being known. Because it's really a shift in allegiance or valuing. Instead of valuing the attachment to our idea, about what's happening, who I am, what's important, to the valuing of this very simple recognition of the present moment as something being known, something being known. And that, that arising, that slow, gradual, cl- uh, clarifying sense that it's empty, that this something being known is empty of anything else. So the mind is really understanding the emptiness of that experience. Oh, yeah, this is being known. Like we can really get when something's not here. But it's hard to keep it in mind. Like some of you don't have a toothache right now. But it would be hard to keep in mind for any length of time the experience of not having a toothache. But if we had a toothache, it would be very easy to keep that in mind, right? But to remember to notice the absence of a toothache, that's not so easy. So that to notice the absence of identification, but it's just this being known, this being known. To notice the freedom or the mind that's not dependent, not fixed. It's hard to train the mind to notice the absence of attachment. So that's why you know, as in Bo- as a sort of in you know, a Buddhist meditation center, we spend a lot of time noticing attachment. Oh yeah, the mind's attached. I'm holding here. I'm tight about this, right? I'm a little fixated over here. Because then, when we notice what. Dukkha, like we have a word for that in Buddhism, right? Dukkha, that flavor of the heart, mind, body grasping. It has both visceral and mental expressions, that basic, deep, deep, deep habit to grasp, to be tight about stuff, moment to moment. So then we start to, when we really highlight that, Dukkha, and this is like, Buddhism 101, notice the subtle elemental experience of suffering, of tightness, of grasping, the essence of suffering, which is right now, in this moment, the mind's constricted. The mind's burdened by this holding, this tightness, because then we'll notice the absence of it. The more we get to know when the mind is tight, the more we can recognize moments of the absence of that tightness, and that's really that maturing of that insight the interesting thing you know when we really start like this is just normal sitting you know a good few moments of a good sit where the mind is noticing oh you're just this being known this being known this being known and part of the maturing of that sense it's just something being known is that they're not bothering each other like the object that's being known doesn't affect the knowing. Like let's say I'm really angry, someone did something and triggered my anger <clears throat> or defensiveness. And then and then, you know, because I'm in a meditation, then I'm curious with some humility. It's just something being known, being defensive is being known. And we can notice that the defensiveness feels like this, right? There's very specific qualities to being defensive, like it feels a particular way in my body and it shapes the activity of my mind in a particular way when I'm defensive. But the knowing of the defensiveness or the anger, the knowing of it isn't angry. Right? It's like a mirror that's reflecting the anger. The mirror doesn't get affected by the anger. And the anger when the knowing is very simple and straightforward, the knowing doesn't affect the anger. It just lets it be what it is. It's something that arises, expresses itself, and passes away. And if there are supporting causes, it will then re-arise, re-express itself, and pass away moment to moment like that. Or if there aren't supporting causes causes for it to re-arise, it will only arise that first time, be seen, and then pass away. So the activity of the mind and body, the objects of our experience, they come and go freely and the awareness is there to meet the objects freely. So this is that third insight is that the beginnings of seeing the frictionlessness or the freedom that's already there. Without having to be a perfect human being, a superhuman, nice or superhuman, clear or superhuman, concentrated or superhuman, being able to sit up straight for long periods of time without moving, human being, right? So without somehow like, oh, I can't be enlightened yet because I'm just I got this strange personality and I have ADHD and I'm old. I started when I was really old. You know, I didn't start when I was young. and You know, we have all these sort of ideas that we're fixated on about who I am. And we just assume that, well, I can't be free yet. I'm a deluded human being who needs to practice in order to be enlightened. So part of this whole maturing of the insight where first we're just learning that it's possible to go beyond, with some humility, go beyond fixed ideas... And have moments where there's just, this is just something being known. This being known. This being known. Continuity of mindful awareness. Then the maturing of the insight that, that's all that's happening. And this really is like shocking. When the mind begins to have this insight, it's kind of like a seismic shift. It's really earth-shaking to realize that's all there is. Because we say it's the first insight into the, Selfless or the absence of a fixed self. Because before the beginnings of this insight, there's a unrecognized presumption that this being known, this being known refers back to me. But what dawns in the mind is doesn't refer back to anything. And that's why it's shocking, that it's really that simple. And then we let that sort of stabilize that insight years and years maybe a practice, and a lot of freedom in that. We, we sense the effects, even well before this place in practice, of just real um, pragmatic effects in our life. And then that matures into kind of uh, a deeper insight that freedom, whatever the freedom the Buddha or any of our wise spiritual ancestors pointed to, that it doesn't depend on anything. It doesn't depend on you or me being a different human being or having a different life. It's available. It's available here and now with this messy world, with this messy personality, this imperfect personality, this indigestion or this slumped posture or whatever excuse we might be able to sort of throw out there the freedom isn't dependent on the conditions of the present moment right it's an unconditioned truth freedom is it's just something that needs to be recognized that's here and it the way that that recognition arises that awakening arises is just to train the mind to be aware of things as they are. Yeah, it's just this being known. And then gradually the mind is aware that that's all it is, is this being known. And then the mind, wisdom, becomes aware of how there's no friction. There's no body that is suffering. Even while the world on this ordinary level remains messy with very real suffering, on this level. And this is like so relevant, like just to take a provocative example, you're there with someone dear to you who's dying or suffering because they've been wronged for some reason or abused for some reason. And you're there with them and their suffering is palatable, real. And your heart is sensitive and empathetic. And so you feel You sense their suffering. Suffering is, but no sufferer needs to be there. Exposure to the suffering, connecting with the suffering, sensing the suffering, knowing the suffering is there. But the mind isn't identified with the sense of a somebody who is suffering because their friend has been wronged. And that doesn't... It's like sometimes we wrongly think that if I'm not a person suffering, I must not care about my friend who's suffering. But what kind of friend would want us to be a suffering human being? But they do want us to be intimate. They do want us to show up. We do want people... To be able to, like, a sense that they're, they know what's happening with me, right? We want that connection. But we don't really want them to suffer. But we want them to be close. We want them to know what this is like. There's no way to do that without wisdom. Because otherwise, we're afraid of their suffering on some level. Even if we don't want to be afraid, even if we know better intellectually, I shouldn't be afraid we're afraid of it we're afraid of some kind of contagion like i don't want that to happen to me because we ha- we've lost and you know this is where we all are to some degree in some moments we'll lose the thread of wisdom right so instead of just something being known and and realizing the empty nature that there's sensitivity profound sensitivity even more profound sensitivity because the mind isn't wasting its energy identifying as somebody who's trying to be skillful in this moment or identified with somebody who doesn't want to get contaminated by their suffering or wants this person to get done with their suffering so that I don't feel so exposed. Right? Whatever sort of unconscious or conscious reaction we might have to being close to somebody's suffering or even close to our own suffering because right, we can really keep it simple. Seeing is being known. Hearing is being known. The movement of emotion is being known. So, whatever it is that's being sensed physically or sensed emotionally, mentally, oh, yeah, it's just something being known. Total engagement, total intimacy, and nothing else, empty of anything else. And it really allows for a kind of nimbleness. If there's something to do, something to say, then of course it's said or done. If there's nothing to say, nothing to do, then there's nothing to say or do. But there's still that presence, that capacity to show up, to be there, to be relaxed. Basically we're modeling what the other person has to do, which is being intimate, without suffering. Suffering is without a sufferer, without any sufferer being found, being constructed. Now, obviously, I hope you understand, it's best to practice this in situations that aren't intensely difficult so we gain some confidence being around ordinary experience. I was on teaching this retreat, you know, being mindful as the teacher should be, and uh, it was raining, I held my umbrella, I closed it up, I leaned it against the wall of the dining hall, and as I was coming back up, they have this beautiful bell, it's an old, like, uh, tank, you know, one of those, maybe for a, uh, you know, deep sea diver, you know, those tanks cut in half, and they make really nice gongs, and my head hit it, <laughs> right. And uh, it was great, you know, it's just sort of like it really hurt. <laughs> and and just to see like, you know, just all kinds of things arose, like did anybody just see that? <laughs> you know? And it's sort of like the mind could have congealed around the identity of being somebody who did something like that, that was seen in this context, right? You know, like being the teacher and banging your head on the bell, you know? And, and even like, you know, I really wanted to touch the place in my head that got hit, but then, then that looks a little weird too, you know, <laughs> to be rubbing. And but just to see the kind of one thing after another as just something being known, whether it was a moment of shame or a moment of like, oh, that really hurts. That moment of fear, did I get a concussion? It's, you know, and then just like wanting to do it right, seeing that whole pattern, like oh, I'm a experienced practitioner, I should do this right. It's just pain being known. And then that sort of like playing the role of being the practitioner and then seeing that. And But it doesn't have to, it really felt like, you know, it didn't have to be somebody being known. I mean, uh, somebody being the sufferer. You know, even though it was like all over the place in terms of the diversity of different, emotional and mental and physical experiences that were happening, it didn't there didn't need to be the congealing of a somebody who was suffering. But there was a lot of unpleasantness, right? But there was also a kind of delighting in the continuity of the practice. It's like without even having without even having to um, congeal a sense of somebody who's experiencing the lightness. This is what we, when we start getting a real sense of the freedom in practice, you'll notice it's endemic. You can't avoid this place where the mind congeals as somebody who's starting to get it, as somebody who's very deeply appreciative that the practice works. Right? And then we have that identity and eventually the mind realizes like that that's extra. I don't need to be the one who's grateful. There can be gratitude being known, but I don't have to congeal. like it, Gratitude doesn't need a set vessel, a me, who's grateful. There can just be that movement of gratitude. Same with anger. Anger can move as an emotion, as mental content, Without congealing around the one who's justified in being angry at this person, right the target of my anger, we don't need that fixed identity. And this is really the maturing, this insight that we can as a human being have the full range of human experience without fixedness, without someone suffering. So I used up all of our time. Sorry about that. I'll make a point of leaving time for conversation next week, but let's just take a few seconds, let go of the words. Just uh, appreciating the silence for a few seconds. Allowing things to be really simple for a few more seconds. Appreciating all the folks before us, all the women and men and others who in their busy lives did their practice as best they could. Realize some... deepening of understanding, some wisdom and compassion, lived it out and in that way passed it on to the next generation. And now after all these many, many years, we are the fortunate recipients. But it's our turn now to do the best we can in our busy, complicated, messy lives, to do our best because we care about the roots of suffering, inspired by the possibility of freedom. So let's live up to this task at hand. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website